Grace and mercy and peace to you this morning from God our Father, from Jesus our Savior too. How would you explain the concept of the Trinity to somebody who's new to it or says, what in the world do you believe as Christians that God is three and one at the same time? How would you explain that? Christians have used a number of ways. A couple more on the screen this morning, actually. One is to say, let me tell you about a triangle. Triangle has three sides, but it's only one shape. Same way God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's only one God, not three. So if you look at Christian artwork, it's not too uncommon to see a triangle as a central symbol of Christianity. The other one that's with a triangle are three rings that are all tied together. A ring being a symbol for eternity because there's no beginning or end on a circle. So you have three circles, all the same shape, all the same size, linked together, is a way of emphasizing that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all the same. None of them is greater or less. None is bigger or smaller. They're distinct and that you're united together in a way that they are, are one God. The one I use most often, well, before I go there, another one is, let me pull that up. Uh, this one. St. Patrick, when he went to Ireland, is said to have used a shamrock, which is why in St. Patrick's Day in March, everything's green and yet the shape is there because he used to tell people, well, the Trinity is kind of like this leaf. One leaf but three lobes, the triune God's kind of like a shamrock. The one I use most often when I teach it is this one. I don't use the Latin version. This one's from a book that was written in the year 1210 AD. We don't know if it goes back earlier than that. But for about a thousand years, Christians have used this symbol as a way of teaching about the Trinity. It's called the shield of the Trinity. On the left is Latin. On the right is how I would teach it in English. In the center is God. Around it, again in a triangle, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you make paths. A path from each of them to the word God and a path from each person of the Trinity to each other. And your two options are either is or is not. So if we're going to talk about God the Father as Christians, God the Father is God. Not kind of or sort of. He, he is God, fully God. Same thing. Jesus Christ is, is God. Even though a lot of people would say he was just a human being, the Bible says he is God just like the Father is God. Same way the Holy Spirit is God. But then if you look on the outside, at the same time, the Father is not the same as the Son. So when the Bible talks about how God died for us, the Bible never says that the Father died on the cross. It's always Jesus Christ is the one who gave his life for us. Same thing between the Son and the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, the Bible never says that Jesus came on Pentecost, even though he's with us too. The Holy Spirit is the one who is poured out on the church. And logically, this throws our mind in, in knots because if, if God the Father is God and God the Son is God, then they ought to be the same. But the way the Bible speaks, all three persons are God, but they are distinct and separate from one another. So all those different ways of talking about it are true. And I'm hoping as people who have been taught the Christian faith, you're familiar with diagrams like this that explain, here's what we mean when we talk about the Trinity. At the same time, however, God is not some logical point. God is not some abstract theological saying. God is very near to us and personal to us. 
And that's the aspect, I think, if you only have a diagram like that, you miss out on how personal God is too. There are a lot of people in the world, and even religions in the world, that look at God as a being who's far away and distant, kind of cold, very impersonal. What connection does he have to me? But that's not at all the way the Bible talks about the triune God. So, on Trinity Sunday, if you're going to open up the Bible and say, how does the Bible talk about God? You're not going to find shamrocks or triangles or even this diagram. You're going to find people who personally meet God and see him and he speaks to them. So what's the triune God like? The prophet Isaiah has a vision where he is in heaven before God. And the angels are covering their faces and the whole place is shaking and filled with smoke. Holy, holy, holy. One God and yet three persons. And Isaiah is terrified in the presence of the triune God. And yet that same triune God, he's the one who then forgives Isaiah's sins. And of all people in the world, Isaiah is the one that God picks and says, I am sending you to be my spokesperson, my prophet. What's a triune God? That is, that's what the triune God is, is like. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. He's there with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a man who's a teacher. He ought to be an expert in explaining God to people. And yet Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I've got to take you back to some of the most very basic concepts about God. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't pull out a napkin and scribble out a diagram of what the Trinity's like. He talks to Nicodemus about God the Father who loved this world in such a way that he would give up his only son. About the Son of God who came into this world and just like Moses lifted up the snake, he lifted himself up on a cross and died for us so that we're not going to go to hell. We're forgiven. We have heaven. The same section talks about how God the Holy Spirit is the one who, like the wind, moves and breathes where he wants. In the water of baptism, he gives us a new birth. So is John chapter 3 meant to be the defining chapter on the Trinity? No, but is the triune God very much there? Yeah, as the God who loved us and saved us. And I'm saving Romans for last because that's the one we're focusing on for the sermon. Again, in Romans 8, it's not that Paul outlines a diagram, but once again, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are there. And this time, it's not about God's power, like Isaiah, Not about God loving the world and dying for the world like John 3. In Romans chapter 8, the picture is this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the one who adopts us into his family. So, let me go back and read that again. I want you to look for these couple things. One is, look for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there. Look for the order they're listed and what Paul says about each one of them. And then... Look for how this God is not someone who's far away, but someone who is very close to us, someone who took us and made us part of his family. So here's Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you see them all there? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This one's in a different order. So it's true, our creeds usually say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but sometimes the Bible will mix up the order. So here, it's actually the Spirit who comes first. And I suppose that makes a certain amount of sense because the Holy Spirit's the first one we ever meet. If we didn't meet the Holy Spirit, we would never really meet the Father or the Son because the Spirit is the one who has to introduce us to the other two. It's through the Spirit that we come to faith. So if you look at the first two verses, what is it that the Holy Spirit does? Again, not far away and distant, but right close to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us. And the word there isn't just providing a roadmap. It's a word for, for, for driving someone on, for, for giving them the energy and the strength, the ability to go forward in a direction. And yes, the direction they head to is, is guided there too. The Holy Spirit's the one who does that for us. It's not like we would get to know the triune God on our own. It's the Holy Spirit who needs to lead and guide and direct and drive us forward to meet God. And the next phrase says that when we are led by the Holy Spirit, we are the children of God. Uh, not It might be one or the other. Those two always go together. You can't know the Holy Spirit and somehow be, be far away from God, just like you can't somehow be a child of God and not have the Holy Spirit. Those two go together. That when we have the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, we are the children of God. And then, Paul characterizes the spirit not as a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. You see, there are a lot of people who look at their relationship with God like, I hope I don't get him mad at me. Hope I can fly under his radar so that when I stand before him someday, I'm good enough. But the Bible says that's not how we live in our relationship with God. Not, not by fear, but God the Holy Spirit is a spirit of adoption who makes us the children of God. And that whole picture of adoption, that's not just here. The New Testament talks repeatedly about us being God's children. So for me, I, I've, I've thought of that picture before, but it was last November, November 30th, I was sitting back in the video booth, I was doing the live stream, and the Stillman family was up here, and we actually had the legal, legal proceedings over Zoom as they adopted six kids all in one afternoon. And just to think through how that process works, and then how God uses that a picture of what we're like. We weren't part of God's family, but God took us and said, I want to make you my own. And here in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, it's the Holy Spirit who led you, brought you into the family of God so that you now are God's children. And if you know the Holy Spirit, you're not going to know just that person, the Trinity. There's one God, and so the Holy Spirit is going to bring us to know the Father and the Son as well. That's what the next verse says. So here's where the Father comes in. Uh, first line is, by him, talking again about the Holy Spirit. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, how could we call it to God the Father? But by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic way of saying, uh, my Father. And from what I read about it, it, it wasn't the word that the Old Testament Jews used a lot in their worship liturgy. It would have been the word that was used more at home. 
I've heard some people say that daddy is a little bit too like your five-year-old. We're not all five. But that picture of a child going up to his dad and saying, hey dad, Abba, that's kind of the picture behind that word. Jesus uses that word Abba in the Gospels. And so again, I don't know if we know this for sure, but one thing I was reading said, maybe it was Jesus who brought this word more into the Christian's usage and the apostles in the early Christian church then used the language of Jesus. So when Jesus would pray to his Father in heaven, he would address him as, as Abba, uh, Father, Dad. And then as the early Christians started praying, you've got this word showing up again that by the Holy Spirit, we can come to him and say, Abba, Father. Uh, Not that in your prayer life, again, you're addressing somebody who's far away. Uh, This last year, I've had some interaction with government bureaucracy. I don't know if you've had that lately. (laughs) But it can be so impersonal, isn't it? When you're reaching out to somebody where you don't know their name, they don't know you. They might help you, but might they not? It might take a really long time. That's not at all what our relationship with God is like. So who is the triune God? There's this Holy Spirit who created faith in us and adopted us into God's family. And by him, we are able to go to the Father and say, Abba, Father. Uh, Every time we pray here in church, Pastor McKinney will lead us in a little while. The Lord's Prayer starts out that way, our Father in heaven, and then we lay before him all the things that we need for our bodies and our souls too. So here in Romans chapter 8, we cry, Abba, Father. The next line is that sometimes we question this, sometimes the world questions this. How is it that you can say that God is your Father? Paul says that again is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit will testify in our hearts that we are the children of God. Sometimes I'm hoping that you, you know that, you can feel that inside. Other times, maybe your own heart questions it. But then the word of God tells you, yes, God loves you. Yes, you are his child. You, you are in the family of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to assure us of that. So, Holy Spirit and the Father. Third one to be mentioned is Jesus. He comes next. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That first line is a bit of logic. If you are a child, then you are automatically an heir. So going back to November 30th with the Stillman adoption, that was the question that stood out for me the most. I, I guess I, I hadn't expected it coming, but it makes sense. One of the questions that they were asked as they adopted the children was, do you understand that by adopting this ch- these children, they legally become your heirs? So in other words, yesterday, if you would have died, your stuff would have gone to somebody else. But if you die after today, these children that you adopt are your legal heirs. And I'm sure you could always change your will later on and who your inheritance goes to. But even today, adoption and being an heir are tied together. And Paul says the same thing is true with us and God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. And here's then where Jesus comes in. Other times, Paul will focus on how Jesus laid down his life for us. That's true. Other times, Paul will focus on how Jesus rose from the dead and we have life. That's true as well. But here, the thing Paul focuses on with Jesus is that Jesus, being the Son of God, 
has the inheritance of everything from the Father. You following that line of thinking? Father and Son in the Trinity, the Son is the heir of everything the Father, Father has. But the way that Paul writes, the Son, Jesus, is not the only one who is a child of God. We have been adopted through the Holy Spirit into God's family, and so we are co-heirs with Christ. Can you imagine God's will written out, and there on the who inherits all of God's wonderful grace and blessing? It's not just Jesus' name there, it's, it's us too. And if you go on, Paul then lists two things you can expect that you will receive as an heir along with Jesus Christ. Do you see him there? The second one is the one I think we're most familiar with, inheriting the glory of God. There's another one, though, that comes first. The Bible says we can expect that we will share in the sufferings of Christ, and then we'll share in the glory of Christ, too. Knowing the triune God doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go off without a hitch, that you're going to have a a bump-free road through life. Some people think that if God's my Father, then everything should be perfect this side of heaven. God doesn't promise that. In fact, the Bible warns us that following him is going to mean taking up our crosses. Uh, The apostles in the book of Acts, they were flogged for their faith, and they went away rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy of suffering for Christ. That for us too, there's going to be a cross shared with Christ, but then the glory that comes in heaven forever with him. We share that with the Son, Jesus Christ. So, if I'd go back to the beginning, if if someone would say to you, how would you describe what the triune God is like? There might be a time when you do pull out a piece of paper and draw a triangle. Uh, Maybe your yard is full of weeds and you can pull out a piece of clover and say God is a little bit like, like this piece of clover. Maybe you go back to that shield of the Trinity and you draw the paths. God is, God is not. But maybe you just go to one of these Bible passages that talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you'd use Romans chapter 8, it would go something like this. Well, who is God? God is the the Holy Spirit who is at work inside my heart. He's the one who led me to know God and even to be in God's family. The Holy Spirit brought me to God the Father, and by the Spirit, I can now call out to him, my Father, in prayer. He knows me. I am am his child. And part of the Trinity means there's also Jesus, my Savior, who died for me, that I am an heir with him, not just of sufferings in this life, but of the glory that will come forever. What is the triune God like? The triune God is like that. Amen. Let's now rise and confess.